listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today, part two, we tried to get through all of it yesterday, but we're talking about uh, 10 enemies of financial increase, 10 enemies of financial increase. So we're going to continue on with that in this broadcast, give you the um, second five. We did the first five yesterday. We're going to give you the second five today. Before we do, I just want to remind you that this week, we're taking this week to um, give you an opportunity to sign up for the Miracle Word prayer teams. And um, the prayer teams and the prayer meetings launch next week on Tuesday night, and it'll be every week at Tuesday night. But we want uh, strong, Holy Ghost-filled men and women that are believing God for breakthrough with us uh, to join us on these Zoom calls for prayer. Um, Again, it is every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And um, if you'll go to miracleword.com forward slash prayer team, uh, you can sign up. There's a men's group. There's a women's group. And uh, we'll be texting you the information to join the Zoom calls for the prayer meeting. And so, again... Uh, We're going to be very consistent with it. It's every Tuesday at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We want to see you there. And uh, so it's going to be great. I'm very much looking forward to that. And then let me say again uh, that this, I cannot wait. Today's already Thursday. Today is day 18 of the fast. Uh, And as I said last night, man, it feels like it's flying by. Jamie said, this is my first time doing the 21-day fast. Congratulations. Uh, Very, very happy that you're joining us for the 21 days of fasting and prayer. And um, hey, Mike Frost, hey, Ben, good to see you. Uh, Jamie from Wisconsin said it's day 18. Yes, it is. We're excited. Caitlin's in the house. Uh, It's great to see Denise, love Glenn. Um, And then I saw Ninja Buddha. I think uh, he wasn't first today, though, last night. Somebody else was first. Took the top spot with the fast fingers this morning. It was Kathy Bloor. Um, Good to see everybody on. Again, as you're logging on, please take a minute to share it. This Sunday night, I can't stress this enough, this Sunday night, it's our breakthrough communion service, and um, we're closing the fast together. Hey, Hunter, we're closing the fast together Sunday night at 7 o'clock. We moved it back two hours, um, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Carolyn's joining me. Um, Again, you know what we do at these services. We pray over your prayer requests. Um, We give you testimonies. Um, We take communion together, and then, of course, this time, we're going to be um, giving you some big announcements that we're very excited for this coming Sunday night. So do not miss this live stream. It's going to be amazing. Um, Bonnie Benedict, she said, I will pray, but not on Zoom. She will pray. She's a woman of prayer, but she refuses to touch that Zoom technology. Don't you bring that Zoom into my house. It's got an antichrist spirit on it. You will not be infiltrated, Bonnie, by that Zoom product, but you will pray. I appreciate your prayers, and we will send you prayer points. Uh, so you can join us. Good morning, Joel. Uh, Jess Burton's excited. Again, congratulations to Jess and Jared Burton, who's been affectionately renamed Gerard Burton. 
uh, moved in to West Palm Beach area on Monday, and uh, we're so, so happy to have them uh, here with us in South Florida. Cannot wait to see uh, what God's going to do in West Palm. Tim Dearman, love you, man. Um, that's all the uh, announcements I'll give you before we start, um, but I'll, I'll say a couple other things at the end of the broadcast. I want to jump into this. Um, Ten things, and good news, by the way, and I'm not making any promises as far as timeline, release dates, or anything like that. I'm getting looks from the back. Not making any announcements like that, but uh, good news. I did go home yesterday uh, and start writing this book that I told you that needs to be in book form. So I did go home and start writing and uh, banged a chapter out yesterday. So I'm excited about that. I think it's, it's going to be something that will very much help uh, the body of Christ. So no promises on dates, timelines, availabilities. <laughs> we, will, we will not do that. But we'll let you know when it is uh, coming available. Good morning, uh, Pastor Chad Spencer is in the house. Love you, man. Um, all right, so we covered five yesterday. Caitlin said, I still got to go back and watch that one. That's fine. Uh, they're up on YouTube archive for you. But today we're going to give you the second five, and it's, they're not in any particular order specifically other than the first one. And that's the first chapter that I wrote yesterday, uh, which is um, misunderstanding God's will is an enemy of financial increase, not understanding God's will. We dealt with it yesterday. It was the first of the ten. And there's a reason that I put it first, and I'll just go over that quickly. I'm not going to cover the five from yesterday, but I do want to cover this for a second. There's a reason that misunderstanding God's will is the foundational enemy that you have to deal with when it comes to financial increase in the body of Christ. It's because God only honors faith in his word. He only honors faith in his word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So uh, we dealt with the fact that uh, if you're double-minded in any area of your life, doesn't matter where it's, where it's at, if you're double-minded in any area of life, then it stops you from receiving any, anything from God, anything at all. It stops you. And in fact, that's a, that's a Bible verse um, found in uh, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I see my friend from high school, Derek Hale in West Virginia. Um, it stops you from receiving anything from God. Uh, the Bible says in James chapter 1, um, 6 through 8, that when you're asking God, now in that, in that context, it's talking about asking for wisdom. But when you're asking God for anything, you have to ask in faith, the Bible says, uh, not doubting in your heart. And then it says, one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. And that person should not think that they'll receive anything from the Lord. So they say they're a double-minded man and unstable in all their ways. So uh, double-mindedness brings instability, according to the Bible. Double-mindedness brings instability, which means uh, it prevents you from receiving anything, not just wisdom, according to Scripture, anything from the Lord. So uh, I've taught you this before, and if you've taken any of our uh, Bible study uh, courses on Miracle Word University, uh, even in our Mountain Moving Faith course, I dealt with the, the thought process that faith is compartmentalized. And that would be something good to start today to put in the comments. Faith is compartmentalized. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It means 
that it's possible for you to have faith in one area of your life and not have faith in another area of your life. Because it's not, faith is not just some general thing that runs across the board. It doesn't work like that. Faith is compartmentalized. So it's, faith is based upon what you've heard from the Word of God, what you've heard taught or preached from the Word of God. That's what faith's based on. So, and I can show you biblical uh, examples, but uh, you, it's, for example, it's, have, it's possible to have faith to be saved, but no faith to be healed. It's very possible to have that. It's possible to have faith to be healed, but no faith for uh, financial increase. It's very possible. Uh, in fact, let me ask a question in the comments. You can, you can put it up, uh, put your hand up um, in the comments if this is you. How many of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church or you didn't grow up in this kind of church and um, you can remember the first time you went to a church that taught that Jesus was not just a savior, he's also a healer and that you can trust and believe him for healing and you can believe God for miracles in your physical body uh, and that if you're sick, it's not God testing you, it's an attack of the devil and you can believe for healing and breakthrough. Put a hand up if you remember the first time you started hearing that preached and taught. Well, you know what happened, right? Uh, when you started hearing that proper preaching and teaching, what did it do? It built faith in your heart to believe God for healing. Previously, you didn't have that kind of faith for healing because nobody had taught you that. Nobody had preached that to you. So you didn't have the ability to believe like that because you never heard that. You can't believe what you've never heard, right? So how many can remember, put a hand up, uh, or, or maybe choose a different emoji so that we know the difference, but uh, the first time that you ever heard, preached, or taught that Christ has a desire to bless you financially, that uh, God will bless your finances, God will bring you into increase, bring you into overflow. Maybe you'd never heard that taught, and you're like, what are you talking about? You, you, you're saying, I, I should expect to get, get when I give? I should expect a return when I give? And, uh, and that, that's the first time you ever heard it. Well, what happened? It built faith in your heart, right? To operate in God's system of seed time and harvest. That was uh, faith that was built by the preaching and teaching of God's word. So you can't have faith for something that you don't know and understand. That's why the Bible says in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free or set you free. That has to be truth that's known. You can't be set free by a truth you don't know. Let me get that into your spirit this morning before we get into these second five. You can't be set free by a truth you don't know. It's impossible. And that's what Romans 10 is all about. As Paul teaches the Romans, uh, how can they believe on whom they've never heard? Right? How can they believe on whom they've never heard? But how can they hear unless it's preached to them, right? And then he goes on and says, but how can it be preached unless a preacher is sent? So there's all these different things that you can see in line. First, God has to anoint and send a preacher. That preacher then has to have the faith and boldness and understanding to preach that message. That message then, once preached, can be heard. And once it's heard, faith can be built. So... That's the whole point Paul's making. You can't have faith for something that you've never heard before. And uh, 
he knew that by experience because in Acts chapter 19, he goes into Ephesus and meets 12 men there. And the Bible says, he asks them a question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we've not even heard there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. He said, well, then what baptism were you baptized with? They said, the baptism of John. He said, John baptized unto repentance. And then he gave them the word. And when they heard this, they were all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That means they got saved. And immediately then he laid his hands upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues. So notice, it's not that they were rejecting the truth. They'd never heard the truth. They'd never heard it. We've not even heard there is a Holy Ghost. So you can't have faith for something you've never heard and you can't have proper faith for something you don't understand. Right? So that's why I deal with this as the foundational principle. Misunderstanding God's will will keep you from receiving the blessings of God. If you have this picture of God in your mind, that God, he's always trying to test me. God's always trying to put me through something to refine my faith and to, uh, you know, that's how people teach and believe that God's often when you go through something negative, when you go through an attack, People say, well, you know, God's putting you through the fire. God's refining you. God's, and that's not scriptural in this way. God does not use things that he has redeemed you from in order to test you. The Bible says that no man should ever uh, say when he's being tempted of evil or tested that he's being tested by God because God tests or tempts no man with evil. The Bible teaches that. God tests or tempts no man with evil. So uh, don't say that God's putting you in a sinful situation to test you. Don't say that God's putting you uh, through sickness and disease to test you. Don't say that God's stripping everything away from you financially. You know, God, I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my job. And I know God was just taking me through the fire to teach me to trust more fully upon him. God doesn't have to strip your house from you and strip your car and strip your job and strip your finances to teach you to depend on him more fully. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do uh, things that the devil does. See, this is the part that people need to understand. He doesn't, God is not in partnership with the devil. And it is the enemy, the devil's desire to kill you spiritually. It is the devil's desire to destroy your health and to put sickness and disease upon you. It's the devil's desire to curse you and to come against your blessing and your finances. That's, that's the devil. That's what he wants to do. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus blesses you. He saves you. He heals you. He provides for you, right? And part of God's covenant names uh, reveal that. If you look at the covenant names of God in the Old Testament, they, they had these names of God that were revealed that were descriptions of his goodness, what he did practically for them, right? He is our righteousness. You know, without Christ, our own righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. But according to Paul's writing to the Corinthians, uh, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. We've been made that. We didn't attain it. We didn't create it. He gave it to us, right? And so that's why we call him Jehovah Sitkanu. He is God, our righteousness. He's our righteousness. Glory to God. He's our righteousness. Uh, again, he's our healer. 
He's our healer. That's why we can call him Jehovah Rapha because he is the God that heals us. He's our healer. Amen. Abraham recognized on top of the mountain. Oh, I'm going to call this place Jehovah Jireh because he is our provider. God's provided for himself a sacrifice. He's a provider. God is a provider. And I could go through all the covenant names of God. You know, he's Jehovah Shalom because he's the one who gives us peace that passes all understanding, right? And so it's important to know these things. God is not in partnership with the devil. God's not using sickness on you. He's not using disease on you. He's not using poverty on you. He's not using sin on you. He's not using depression and anxiety on you. He's not putting suicidal thoughts on you. And there's people that teach that stuff, that God's testing you with evil. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. That is uh, a slap in the face of his holy and righteous character and nature and his integrity. That's a violation of his integrity. So God doesn't do that. So you ought to know. But the reason I dealt with that first is if you don't understand that he's a provider, if you don't understand that he set up the system of seed time and harvest, if you don't understand that he expects that when you give, he wants to bless you back financially, the same way you sowed is the way he wants to bless you back. For Paul said, whatsoever a man sows, that is the thing he'll reap. Speaking to an agrarian farming society, they knew what he was talking about, that what you put in the ground is the thing that's going to grow up and come back as a harvest. There's no farmer that plants potatoes and expects to reap corn. And so we understand that God's the one that created this system. And until we understand he wants to bless us, that's why I dealt with Romans 7 yesterday, or excuse me, uh, Matthew 7. Jesus taught he's a loving heavenly father that knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. Hallelujah. He gives good things to those who ask him. And in context, the things Jesus is talking about are not spiritual things. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about the gifts of the spirit. He's not talking about righteousness. You know what he's talking about in context? What if your children ask you for bread? Are you going to give them a stone? What if your children ask you for a fish? Are you going to give them a serpent? He's talking about natural provisions. That's what Jesus was referencing. And he said, if you earthly and uh, fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? So we started with that because you've got to know God's nature, character, uh, that he wants to bless you. He wants to take you into the overflow. He's got a plan to take you higher. And we have to cooperate with God's plan. We've got to cooperate with God's plan. And so we dealt with the first five yesterday. Today, I'll give you the second five. Uh, so today, beginning with number six, you can put it in the comments as number six. Uh, the sixth enemy of financial increase is ignoring God's leading, ignoring God's guidance. That's number six. Ignoring God's leading, ignoring God's guidance. Hallelujah. And um, I often take you to this passage to show you in just kind of one verse. And I understand it's Old Testament. I understand that it was spoken to Israel, but God's nature and his character do not change. And what he did for them is the same thing that he'll do for us in a better covenant, right? Uh, if you remember, I talked about the fact that Old Testament people had to be led by the prophets. Prophets would speak and prophets would give instructions. And then the nation 
would follow the, the instructions of the prophet who heard from God. But in the New Testament, we're not led by prophets or prophecy, though they still are functioning and they are very needed. We are not led by prophets or prophecy. We're led by the Holy Spirit. And every believer has the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, there's power in that. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll, he'll show you things you don't know about. I, I dealt with the fact that, uh, that during this fast, that he'll show you secrets about the future. The Holy Ghost can do that. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He'll show you. How, if you were with me, I did, I did a whole broadcast on God wants to tell you a secret just a couple of nights ago. God wants to tell you a secret. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that God has all the secret things in his mind, in his hand. And De- Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. And he has the ability to show you things that have not even come to pass yet. He'll show you secrets about the future. He'll lead you in, into things that you didn't even know were there. He'll show you decisions to make and he'll show you how to go about uh, your purpose and your life in order to have the best possible outcome, the blessing that he wants for your purpose. And so I often take you to Isaiah 48 and verse 17. Uh, and it says this, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy one of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. That's Isaiah 48 and verse 17. He teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. So we got to understand this. There's ways we could go. And then there's ways we should go. There's many ways we could go, but there's only one way we should go. And that's God's plan. That's his leading. That's his guidance. I don't want any outcome. I want God's planned outcome. Hallelujah. I don't just want any outcome. I want God's planned outcome. Absolutely. And so uh, that comes from a leading spirit. Well, um, one of the things that I want to deal with here is, for example, I've read to you multiple times this week, Job 36, 11. If they will only obey and serve me, there's the, there's the stipulation, obey and serve me. They'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. What's, what's that the result of? Obedience and serving. Isaiah 119, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Obedience to God's word and his spirit is the key to walking in never-ending blessing. And I'll tell you, there comes a time uh, that you have to be led by the spirit uh, in, these, in these areas in order to step into the blessing God has for you. Let me give you an example of what I mean. One, one of the things people I think ignore very often, many Christians, is spirit-led giving. And now there's, there's two types of free will giving. There's, and, and I've dealt with, uh, uh, yesterday we talked about tithes, that's not giving. Uh, but yesterday I covered free will offerings or giving, what we just call an offering to God. If you study scripture, there are two different ways that you know you can give to God. The first way is what Paul taught in 2 Corinthians 9. When he told the Corinthians, each of you must decide in your heart how much that you're going to give. So there's one type of an offering you can give 
where you've just made up your mind and made a decision. I want to give God this amount. I've already, I've already paid my tithes, but now I want to give God an offering. And this is what I'd like to give to God. And you make it up. Now, as I've taught previously, even what you decide in your spirit has to have two things wrapped around it. What are those two things? Number one, honor. And number two, faith. Number one, honor. And number two, faith. Even when you decide <clears throat> how much you want to give, you still have to wrap it in honor and faith. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, what you choose, those are parameters that should define what you're able to choose. So for, for example, and the reason I say this is because God's not required to accept every offering that's given. Did you know that? God is not required to accept every offering that's given to him at all. You know, he rejected Cain's offering. Did you know that? But even beyond Cain's offering, I'll read to you once again, if you don't remember this, I'll put it back in your spirit. Book of Malachi, uh, <clears throat> chapter one. The priests were offering polluted offerings to God and God was offended by it. And he said, uh, they asked him, how, have, this is um, Malachi 1, 6. How have we despised your name, God? He said, by offering polluted food upon my altar. And you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that my table may, may be despised. You offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? Then you offer those that are lame or sick. Is that not evil? Present that to your governor and see if he'll receive that from you. Now look at this. <laughs> Going down, he says, verse 10, I wish there was one among you who would shut the doors to my temple so that you'll not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I will not. So let's break this down. Why would God not accept the offering they chose to give? They chose, that's what they decided to give God. Well, first of all, as you can clearly hear from his description, it was their leftovers. It was their leftovers. They took the best for themselves, the strong animals, the healthy animals, the heavy animals, and then they gave God the blind animals, the sick animals, and the lame or crippled animals, and they burnt those on the altar. God said, really? You're gonna give me your leftovers? You're gonna give me things that you don't want? <laughs> yeah, that'd be like the equivalent of like going into your closet, all of the clothes that you've had for 20 years that probably Goodwill wouldn't even take, all filled with holes and smelling like mothballs, and bringing that and proudly marching it to the altar and putting it in the offering bucket. It's like, Lord, I want you to have my Jaws t-shirt from 23 years ago, Lord. And here it is. It still smells like body odor and it's got holes in it and smells like mothballs as well. But Lord, just receive this offering. It's like, God said, I don't want your leftovers. I want your best. I want you to put me first. And you know what he said to them? I'll not receive an offering from your hands. That's Malachi 1, 6 through 10. And so God's not required to accept every offering that's given. He's not. And so when we give even a free will offering, that means we've decided in our hearts how much we're going to do for God. It still has to be wrapped in honor and faith. You say, what do you mean? Well, is what you're presenting to God <clears throat> honorable? In, in, I'm talking about in your situation. Is it an offering of honor? <clears throat> say, how can I tell if it's an offering of honor? Is it something that means something to you? Or is it something that you'll, you'll not miss it if it's gone? 
If it's something you'll not even miss it when it's gone, that's not honor. You say, what about faith? I have to have something that when I give it to God, it activates my faith. This is taking faith for me to give because God's not pleased with an absence of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when I sow, even something that I choose to sow, I have to have faith. It has to move my faith and it has to activate my honor for God. But we're not talking about something that you choose. I'm talking about something that the Lord speaks. And um, in fact, I prefer spirit-led giving over uh, free will giving, if you will. Now, it's still my choice whether or not to obey his voice, so it's a free will offering, but I would prefer God to lead and direct me in my giving. And, and the reason why is because he has a greater knowledge. He has unlimited knowledge. He knows the future. He knows what I'll need in the future. He knows where he's taking me. He knows what I need when I get there. So he can direct me to a seed to sow that will prepare me financially for where he's about to take me. And so I say this, every time I get ready to give an offering, I say, Lord, what would you have me give? And if you hear me pray for you or, or anytime I'm in a service, you know as well that I always pray that way. You know, one of the last things I'd ever do is tell somebody what to give. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell people because my own mind can be too small. I can say, you know, I think everybody in here tonight is supposed to sow a $100 seed. There was somebody sitting there that the Lord just spoke to them to sow $10,000. But then they heard me with my little faith get up on the platform and say, you know, I feel like everybody here tonight is supposed to give $100. Oh, great. You just limited them because of what the Holy Spirit told them was much larger than what your finite mind could comprehend. And that's why I don't limit people to what my natural finite mind can, I'm not the Holy Ghost. I let the Holy Ghost speak to people. That's why if you ever come to one of our services or if you're ever on this broadcast for any period of time, you'll know, I don't put any pressure. I don't put heavy pressure on people. Now I want you to hear me. We're getting ready to launch a church. I need 30 people that'll stand with me. I may mention something that we're doing and give you the opportunity to respond, but you'll never hear me put pressure. If you don't give today, our television program won't continue. If you don't give today, then we won't be able to do that. I don't put pressure on people like that. You know why? And let me give you a very powerful revelation that will open, open your spirit up to feel so free. People are not your source. People are not your source. God is your source. God is your source. Let me tell you, I don't have to find the people that God will connect me to that will so into this ministry to bring this vision to pass. I don't have to find them. It's God's vision. It's God's vision. God will connect them. I mean, there'll come a time where we've had, I mean, people that I don't even know. We had this happen. Uh, you know, people that we don't even know. It's like, we'll see offerings to me. Like, that's a large offering that just came in through the website. Who is that person? Do we, do, is it someone from the broadcast? We look at their name. Never seen this person before. I don't even, well, where do they live? And they live in a place that I've never even preached before. You say, well, hold on, what's, where'd they, how do they know about our ministry? Where'd they find out about us? And of course, you find out you're touching people that you didn't even know you were reaching, but it's like, who is this person? And they have these large offerings come through. Well, I didn't, I don't know them. They're not on my, uh, you know, mailing list or whatever. They might be now, but they weren't then. And think like, man, you know, what's that? What's that? I didn't have to cultivate a relationship and network. This isn't Amway. 
You know, it's, it's, you don't have to like go to Barnes and Noble. Hey, would you, are you interested in making some passive income from home? Let's connect for coffee. Networking is like that's that's the world's way. God has His own way. But you know what happens is that if people that I knew or people that were they chose not to do what the Lord told them to do, guess what? God will send other people that will do what He tells them to do. Not to mention the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So I fully expect wicked people. <clears throat> and wicked corporations to send offerings to Miracle Word Church. I expect it. I fully expect it. I expect wicked people and secular corporations to send offerings to Miracle Word Church. I fully expect it. Why? The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. It's part of my inheritance. So it's coming in Jesus' name. It's not all coming just from believers. It'll come from unbelievers and it'll come from secular companies. Maybe they're just looking for a tax break. Fine, we'll give you one. But you know what? We'll take your money too. Amen. And I can never understand when ministers don't, don't, don't get this, that God set this system up. It's the system of seed time and harvest. And it's for your benefits, for my benefit. When I sow seed, God blesses me. When you sow seed, God blesses you. And this can be our year of financial wonders for the faithful in Jesus' name. But when we ignore God's leading, so I always pray. And I say, Lord, would you give me an instruction? Now, you know the two, two prayers I told you last night, the first prayer. Lord, give me the largest seeds that I've ever had before. Put the largest seeds in my hand that I've ever had in Jesus' name. I pray. Your word says you give seed to the sower. Give me the largest seeds I've ever sown this year. And then you know what I say? Now, Lord, you've blessed me. You've blessed me. Now, Lord, speak to me what you want me to sow. What, and it's so funny because before I was in evangelism, I was on staff um, with my uncle, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth, and I was one of the things I did at the church, I was the music director. So many times, in, in fact, every time during the offering, I was on the platform, on the keyboard, uh, playing and getting ready to sing and, and whatever for the offering. So I wasn't ever sitting with my wife during the offering. And uh, it was very interesting because a lot of times we'd kind of just look up at each other. She'd be sitting in the pew. I'd be up on the platform on the keyboard and we'd just kind of look at each other. And uh, uh, I'd have something in my spirit that I felt we should give and she'd have something, but we never talked. And then I'd get home from church and say, what'd you give today? And she'd tell me the amount. And I'd say, that's exactly what I felt in my spirit. See, the Holy Spirit was leading us to do the same thing. Same thing. And there's many times that that would happen. Many times. Well, what is that? That's not a coincidence that we each came up with in our hearts how much we'd like to give. No, that was the leading of the Holy Spirit and we obeyed it. And I thank God for a wife that hears from the Holy Spirit and obeys it. She doesn't ever say, well, I think that's too much. I don't think we should give that much to God. No, no, she presses forward and she has faith to sow. And so we'd get home and I'd talk. What, do you th what was it you felt today? Well, this is what I gave. That's exactly what I felt in my spirit up on the platform exactly what I felt. So that's called spirit-led giving. I would prefer spirit-led giving even over making up my own mind because it ensures that I'm doing the exact thing that's in God's plan and will where he can take me into the overflow he has planned for me. That's why I want to hear his instructions. I want to hear his voice. Glory to God. I want to hear his instruction. I want to hear his voice. Amen. And I think one of the things that people miss is, uh, they might be people that, you know, they may give or whatever, but um, 
Are they hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are they sowing something that the Holy Spirit has told them to sow? Led them to sow? Somebody, um, two weeks ago, I think it was during the first week of the fast, if you're on, and um, you can correct me if the timing's wrong, but they said, you know what? We're getting ready to sow the largest seed we've ever sown. And she said, the Holy Spirit led us to sow this. We felt to give it. Well, that's the Holy Ghost. They sowed the largest seed they'd ever sown before. She said, that week, I had the largest order placed in my business. So that means more finances are coming into her hand than have ever come into her hand. He gives seed to the sower, then he multiplies the seed with a harvest. Largest order ever had in their business. Well, it's no coincidence. You think the, the day after you obey the instruction of the Lord, then the, the biggest thing you've ever received comes into your hand? No, it's the biggest thing that ever left their hand. And guess what? The biggest thing that ever came into their hand came right back. That's seed time and harvest. So don't tell me it's a coincidence. That's why it's uh, vital. It is vital that you obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. Vital, absolutely vital. I could give you story after story of our ministry of how we've had uh, instructions from the Holy Ghost to sow and we sowed the exact thing he told us and it opened the doors and the floodgates opened up and the blessing came back. I've shared many of those with you. But I, I've been blown away recently over the past couple of years as we continue to increase, 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 increase in our giving and the Lord, of course, he gives us our harvest, but it's, it's amazing how not only does he do that, but quickly he puts the seed we sowed right back in our hand. And you'd think, man, I'm getting ready to release a large amount of money. And I shared the story with you guys about the 35,000 and the 50,000. And you think, man, we're getting ready to release a large amount of money. And, uh, you know, your flesh says to you, can you afford to do that? Your flesh will always ask that question. Can you afford to do that? Can you afford to do that? And then it blows my mind. That like, for us, when we did the first one last year, it was like the week, that same week when we got home, the check was waiting in the mail for the exact amount we sowed. And then this year, after we sowed our seed on December 31st, it wasn't two weeks, it wasn't even two weeks, two weeks had not even passed, and that same amount came back into our hand. It's God showing you, I give seed to the sower. But that's not the end, that's just God putting the seed back in your hand. Hallelujah, he provides it, he provides it. And so that's been blowing my mind. Well, that's spirit-led giving. Spirit-led giving shows you. You know, it's also a confirmation to your heart, right? That you're like, okay, it's confirmation to me to know that like this wasn't just a good idea that I had. This is something the Lord asked me to do because he gives seed to the sower. This is something he asked me to do and he's letting me know, he's letting me know that He's going to provide the seeds that he's telling me to give. I'm telling you, there's a day coming very soon that we'll give a $100,000 offering. But I'll tell you, there's also a day coming that we're going to sow a $1 million offering in Jesus' name. Guess what? The Lord will put that seed in my hand and he leads me to sow. So number six, one of the enemies that you have to get past uh, for financial increase is ignoring God's leading. Don't ignore it. <clears throat> don't, get, don't let God give you an instruction and then you say, well... Maybe we'll do that later, but we're going to choose to do this right now. One of the biggest mistakes anyone could make is to maintain and stay where they are. Let me tell you, there's people, if God told you to move, you better move. You better move. Don't hem and haw about it 
for two years, three years, four years, five years, sitting around that, well, you know, when the doors open and when we have an opportunity, when I think there's good. No, no. If God gives you an instruction, do it. Because what happens is when you don't do it and you delay in your instruction and your obedience to your instruction, what ends up happening is things stop working out like they were before because now you're in disobedience rather than obedience. God didn't, God didn't tell you to remain for five years. God didn't tell you to stay doing the same thing for seven years. He said, make the change. And when God speaks, he expects obedience. He expects obedience. You know, there's no such thing. In, first of all, God's instructions aren't optional and there's no maintenance mode in the kingdom. You can't say, well, you know, God, I don't prefer, I know you're uh, told me to step up to the next level, but I'm not, I don't feel like I want the next level. I'm just going to stay right where I am. If you don't mind, I'm going to maintain right where I've been for these last years. God said, no, no, now you're in disobedience. I didn't call you to stay at the same place. When I speak to you to move, move. That's what the Lord's saying. And when you obey, that's where the blessings are. That's where the blessings are. I've taught this, the miracles in the move. When God speaks, obey. And you have to get past that ignoring God's leading, ignoring it, pushing it off, saying it doesn't matter. That's it. Put it in the comments. God's instructions are not optional. God's instructions are not optional. So that's number six. Number seven. Poor stewardship, you got to get, that's an enemy of financial increase. That's an enemy of financial increase. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 25. You know, there's people, they'll say stuff like this. You know, when I, when I finally get the money to tithe, you know, I'll tithe. When I, when, you know, when I start making more money, when I start, when I start getting a, when I get a better job, when I get a raise, when I get a promotion, I'll start tithing. Let me tell you something. If you're not tithing at this level, you won't tithe at the next level. If you can't tithe on $100, you won't tithe on $100,000. Trust me on that one. It's poor stewardship. If God can't trust you with 100, he can't trust you with 100,000. And there's, I've heard this so often. Well, you know, when we get a little bit of a better job and we're in a better position, we'll start tithing. Okay. See how that works out for you. Doesn't work. Because God can't even trust you at the small level. Why would he trust you at a bigger level? So Matthew 25, uh, let me read you uh, verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. The Bible says, uh, when the master came back to his servant who had five talents, turned it into 10, notice what he said in verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much enter into the joy of the Lord. See that you've been faithful over little. I will make you ruler over much. Or this translation, I will set you over much. Notice the promotion came, the increase came when he stewarded well what he was given. When he stewarded well what was given. I'm only giving you five talents, comes back. I've made you 10 here, take the 10. Oh, you're faithful over little. I'll make you ruler over much. Amen. Amen. That's how it works. You can't live in poor stewardship. I'll tell you, uh, I was, when I was in um, that position of being on staff with my uncle in Virginia Beach, there was a guy in our church that was one of my, he, he was one of my leaders in the youth group. He called me one day, all like bent out of shape. He's like, I, I need help. I need financial help. I said, what's going on? He said, I just, I'm just running short of money every month, running short of money every month. I said, really? 
I said, well, can, I, uh, can we go over some figures? Why don't you come into the church on my lunch break? We'll go over some figures. He said, yeah, I'll do that. I said, bring your whole budget, bring your bills, everything that you uh, have to do every month and, and all that, and we'll go over it together. He said, okay. So he comes in on my lunch break. We go into the youth room and sit down at a table, and I take all of his bills. I did a whole, but we laid out the whole budget. I said, first of all, how much money do you make? He told me his, his paycheck for the month, how much he makes a month. We wrote it down at the top of the paper. And then I said, all right. Let's take a look at your bills. We wrote all of his bills out. I took out his tithes. I took out even, you know, space for an offering. And then we wrote his bills out, did everything that he owes. I even included groceries and gas for his car for the month. We got to the end of the month and there was like $5,000 approximately unaccounted for every month. It's like, dude, you're making, I was like blown away. Cause he's like, he was like panicked. Like I'm, I'm running out of money. I'm coming up short every month. And I looked at his thing. I said, bro, you're making good money. I said, you have $5,000, uh, about $5,000 extra. We don't know where that money is. And your bills are all paid. And you've got tithe money in, in the ground. You've got your offerings. Everything's done. Groceries in your house, gas in your car. Where's that money? And he's just kind of sitting there flabbergasted. I, I don't know. I, I, don't know where the, I don't know where my money is. I mean, I don't know why, where that money goes every month. Well, I know where it goes. Out the door. It goes out the door because you have no discipline and it's poor stewardship. So there's people, let me tell you something. There's actually people that will tell you that they're being attacked by the enemy. Oh, that's a lot of surplus money. $60,000 a year surplus, Mike? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Oh, I thought you, I thought you said slur, surplus. That is a lot of slurpees. I thought you said surplus. But it's a lot of surplus. That's 60000 That's somebody's, that's a household salary in America on average. Think about that. And he doesn't know where it's going. Janine said, tell your money where to go. Yeah, it's like Dave Ramsey says that. If you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. And he was wondering where it went. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, bro, you're not in, you're not in uh, crisis you're in a place of extremely poor stewardship like I've never seen in my life. In my life. And this could, I, I find out later, this dude's going out and just buying tons of used cars because he likes cars. Dude had like nine cars sitting in a yard somewhere. He said some of them are on blocks because you know the tires were rotted out. And I'm like, it's like, what are you doing with nine cars? Some of them just sitting on blocks. What are you doing, dude? You know, I like cars. I had an idea that maybe I could fix them up and turn around. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> just unbelievable bad stewardship, poor stewardship. And, and let me just say this because there's people that think that the devil's attacking their finances and they'll think, they'll think, well, I'm not being blessed. Oh, you're being blessed. You know, because people like him, he'll come and say, you know, pastor preaches prosperity. How come I'm not seeing prosperity? It's like, let me show you where your prosperity is going. It's not that God's not blessing you and you don't have the resources. You've squandered it. And so poor, poor stewardship, it's a sign to God that you don't care about the importance of your purpose. Woo, that's a heavy word, but I know you can take it today. Poor stewardship is a sign to God that you don't care about the importance of your purpose. Don't care. Just squandering things. So you have to get past uh, that's right, a bag full of holes. You got to get past poor stewardship if you want to walk in financial increase. It's like the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 21, 
verse 20, New Living Translation, a fool spends all that he has. A fool spends all that he has. That's, a, that's Proverbs 21.20 in the New Living Translation. That's, how, that's the way I'm quoting it to you. A fool consumes or spends all that he has. No savings, nothing set aside, nothing in preparation for what God wants to do later. Just spends everything. Oh, tax returns coming in? I'm headed straight to the mall. Stimulus check hit, check hit. I got to hit Louis Vuitton. I was like, bro, spending all you have, poor stewardship. God can't bless you. God can't bless you. Let me give you, let me give you the last three before we pray. Number, uh, this will be number eight, laziness. Laziness. God cannot bless laziness. I'm going to say it again. God cannot bless laziness. God hates laziness. He hates it. Let me show you something in Proverbs chapter six. And of course, I'm sure you know this passage. This is very, very important. Proverbs chapter six. I'll start with verse six. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You know what this passage is saying? Nobody should have to always be kicking your butt to get to work. Nobody should always have to be lighting a fire under you to get get busy doing what you're called to do. Somebody shouldn't have to always be checking up on, hey, did you get that done? How come, is it finished? Are you moving out? Are you stepping out? Are you obeying what the Lord told you? Somebody shouldn't have to always be burning a fire under you to get you to move. Notice the first part of that passage. Go and consider the ant. No chief, no master, no ruler. Nobody's commanding them to work. Nobody's commanding them to work, but they're working diligently anyway because they're not lazy. And they're using the picture of the ant for those that are, engaged in laziness, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And what'll happen? Poverty will come upon you. The Bible says it here this way. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you want to get into financial increase, cut laziness out of your life. Get to work doing what God called you to do. Get to work doing what God's called you to do. And again, I'll link this, this is number nine. I'll link this up with number eight, laziness. But number nine is disregarding your purpose. Again, let me be very clear. You can't just do anything you want to do and be blessed. You have to do what the Lord is telling you to do. That's why the greatest thing you could ever do is recognize your purpose in the kingdom. Recognize your purpose in life. When you grab hold of that, I said this last night when I was teaching, Blows my mind that of all the ministers that were in the end, toward the end of their life that I asked, what, what would you go back and tell the 20-year-old you, the 25-year-old you? 90-some percent of them told me. I would go back and tell myself, find out what God wants you to do and do only that thing for the rest of your life. That's your purpose. And there's people that disregard their purpose and expect to be blessed. You can't just choose to go do anything. <laughs> you know, the Lord spoke to me to open up a church in West Palm Beach and raise up an army of believers in South Florida. I can't choose and say, you know what? I know the Lord wants me to open up a church, but what I'd really like to open up is a restaurant. 
I love high-end food and I'd love to open up. I'm, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna open up a restaurant. That's what I feel is really what I'd love to do. You know, I'm just gonna pursue my passions. No, I could do that, but there won't be any blessing on it because the Lord didn't tell me to do it. And the Bible says in Psalm 127 and verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. I don't want, and I don't want you, and I don't want to labor in vain. Do you know what that means? <clears throat> it means your work was for nothing. It means your work was for nothing. Do you know that same phrase was used in Malachi 1 that I read to you earlier? I wish they would close the doors to my temple so that I, you wouldn't kindle fires on my altar in vain. What he's saying is, you can build the fires all you want. You can offer those lame animals all you want, but it's for nothing because I don't receive it. And that's the same thing here. Uh, Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house. So unless you're doing what God's doing, unless you're doing what he's asked you to do, unless it's for his purpose, then you've done it in vain. Makes no difference whatsoever. And I don't want to do anything in vain. I don't want any of my work to mean nothing. That's why, uh, and I learned this principle from Bishop David Oyedepo, unless God instructed us to do it, let it remain undone. Unless God commanded it, let it remain undone. I would, there's, let me say something. A need does not constitute a calling. A need. There are a lot of things that need to be done in the world, but you're not called to do them. So don't just say a need and say, well, I see a need over there. I'm going to go engage in that purpose. If it's not your calling, then let it remain undone until someone that's called to do it does it. Amen. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Even though I'm in the ministry and the Bible commands us to bless the poor, I'm not called. I've never been called to do what feed the hungry does. I've never heard the Lord tell me, you need to find a way to package foods and you need to find a way to transport them to other nations where people are hungry and you need to go and set up feeding programs in these nations and you need to go hire a staff and train a staff and start feeding people. I'm not called to do that. I've never had one instruction to do that in my life. So I'm not gonna do it. It needs to be done. There are hungry people in the nations of the world. I'm not doing it though, because the Lord didn't tell me to do it. But I will give to those that are doing it. See the difference? I will sow to people that are doing that work because it's their call, it's their purpose. So I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing. I'm not gonna stop traveling and preaching or not launch a church and then say, well, you know, I think really the more important thing is there's hungry people around the world. I need to go get involved in that. No, God didn't tell me to do that. So you know what I'd be doing? Disregarding my purpose. And then I'd be working in vain. And then the blessing of the Lord would not be on what I did because he didn't command it. God only provides for what he commands. God pays for what he orders, right? So I'm not gonna engage in something that's not my purpose. A need does not constitute a calling. Don't allow yourself to be pulled in 16 different directions uh, uh, because you see a need in our culture, a need in our society. Don't, don't say, well, I gotta go meet that need. I gotta go meet that need. I gotta go meet. And people get pulled in 13 directions because there's needs. There'll always be needs. Did you know Jesus said the poor will be with you always? Doesn't mean we don't help the poor. It means you're not gonna eliminate world poverty. You're not gonna eliminate world hunger either. It's gonna be with you. Because as long as there's corrupt men on the earth, even if you equally distributed all the wealth throughout every person on the earth 
and everybody got $5 million or whatever, you know, whatever it would be. By, t- by tomorrow, there would be billionaires again and there would be broke people again. If you don't believe that, just go do a study of people that have won mega lotteries and see how uh, a lot of them have lost all their money and they're addicted to drugs and their families won't speak to them. It's like, how did you go from having that much money to nothing? It's because as long as there's corruption in the world, there will always be a, um, a disproportionate wealth gap. Just will. Jesus said so. And so you're not going to solve that, but you can help those that need help. But if you're not called to do something, don't touch it. Don't do it. Only do what God calls you to do. If you want to walk in increase, you have to engage in your personal purpose. And then let me give you the final one. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is number 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You have to get past this if you want to walk in the increase God has for you. And not just that, you got to get past it if you want to stay in the kingdom of God. And that is, number 10, the love of money. The 10th enemy of financial increase. The love of money. The love of money. Hmm. Did you know, because a lot of people, do you know, a lot of people will use uh, Paul's teaching to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 as an excuse to say, oh, see, the, the, you don't need the, the, the prosperity gospel is heresy because look at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to teach uh, Timothy as a young minister. Look what he said. And I'll read the whole passage to you. I'll read the whole context to you. Listen to this now. Um, the Bible says, and I'll start from where he, where he starts talking about this. Um, verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs, or one translation said, many sorrows. So people will read this passage of 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, and say, see that? That prosperity gospel, when you preach about living in abundance and having overflow, that's against the message of Christ. That's against what the Bible teaches. No, this passage is specifically teaching about the love of money. The love of money. And look how it talks about it. For those that have this desire, it's an inordinate desire to be rich. For what? The sake of being rich because they love money. That's what it's talking about. And they want money so bad, they're willing to do wicked things to get it. They're willing to cheat. They're willing to steal. They're willing to lie. To take those finances that they want so bad because they love money. And look what it says. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through that craving many have wandered away from the faith. There's no question that there's a temptation of earthly things. No question. But see, here's what I wish people would get in their spirit. This is the power of tithing and giving. 
Because if you will keep your heart in the place where, Lord, I don't care how much you bless me with, I will always be a tither and I will always be a large, generous giver. You know what that does? It keeps your heart safe from forming a love of money. The understanding, none of it's mine anyway, it's all the Lord's because I'm his servant. If he told me to give it away, I'll give it away. Nothing's going to hold me in bondage. That's what the problem was with the rich young ruler. He said, what must I do? I want to be your disciple. I want to be perfect. And he said, Jesus said, keep all of the commandments. He said, well, I've done that since I was a little boy. He said, well, you're missing one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says, and the young man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And as my grandfather preached, many possessions had him. Jesus, now Jesus didn't tell that to anyone else, including his own disciples. Peter Peter didn't give everything he had away. After Jesus was died, died and was resurrected, Peter went back to his home. Peter still had his boats. Peter still had his fishing business. He didn't give everything away to follow Jesus. He forsook it all. He left it behind, but he didn't get rid of it. This is the only person in the Bible Jesus ever told to get rid of their possessions. Why? Because he knew that this man had an issue with his things. They had him in bondage. So the way to get around a love of money is to keep your heart right before God and be a faithful, willing tither and giver. Say, Lord, it's yours anyway and whatever. But how can I, how can I desire to be a blessing to others if I only have enough for me? How can I do that? If I only have enough for me, I can't. So I have to have the overflow just to obey the word of God. How can I tithe if I only have enough to pay my bills and meet my needs? I can't. How can I give offerings beyond my tithes if I only have enough to meet my uh, needs and pay my bill? I can't. How can I bless the poor if I don't have excess, if I don't have overflow? I can't. So you can't look at this passage and say, see, God is saying, just let your needs be met and then just be content with that. No, you can literally be content. Like I'm content right now. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything else, but I will have an additional excess come into my life. I won't stay at this level forever. I will increase. I'll go higher and higher and higher and higher. I'll have more and more come to me, but I don't need it. And I'm not out seeking and saying, I, I wish, you know what? You know what I really want? I want somebody to give me a Lamborghini. You know, seeking things. I'm not seeking things. I'm seeking God. Think, you have to get to the place where things mean nothing to you. Things mean nothing to you. And then God can bless you with anything. Let me just give you this before I pray for you. Put this in the comments. When everything means nothing to you, God can give you anything. When everything means nothing to you, God can give you anything. Glory to God. When everything means nothing to you, God can give you anything. Glory to God. It's not about things. It's about your relationship with the Lord. It's about your covenant relationship with the provider, loving him. And when you put him first, he'll put you first. No question about it. Get ready for a year of financial wonders. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. So thankful, so thankful for your blessings. So thankful for your hand of provision and mercy that's upon our lives. Thank you for opening the windows of heaven and blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for being with us, leading us, guiding us into all truth. Now, Lord, I pray for your precious people. I ask you, as we've been asking you, to put the largest seeds in their hand this year they've ever sown. 
And I thank you that as we sow them, as we release them by faith, the largest harvest we've ever seen are coming back. We thank you that by the time we get to the end of the year, we won't even recognize ourselves. We'll be blown away by how good you've been to us. And then you'll get all the praise and the glory and the honor for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' wonderful name, we thank you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. Make us a blessing to our generation. Make us a blessing to the poor. Make us a blessing to those in need. Make us a blessing to our school districts. and Make us a blessing to our churches. Raise us up as pillars of generosity, Father, in these final moments of time. And we'll never have a love of money. We have a love for you. But we thank you that when we obey your word, the money also has to come because you're a God who blesses his children, that you will freely give us all things. We so thank you for that. We love you. We appreciate all that you're doing in our lives. You are our provider. And we expect to see supernatural provision in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.